0: And Welcome back to another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando up here on the Smith River in the great state of Jefferson on the border of California and Oregon. Today we have a really amazing show considering Walter Russell plays so much into what we do here at Alpha Vedic. We have Matt Presti on today, president of the University of Science and Philosophy and we are just thrilled to go deep into walter russell today uh alpha vedic as you if if any of you are aware of alpha vedic and what our branding is and everything we do we integrate walter russell into our technology into our products and and pretty much our core philosophy so uh, this is uh, really special for us um we're very delighted to have matt presti on uh, he's, like i said he's the president of the university of science and philosophy And uh, he's returning again. He was on originally last year. So if you want to hit pause, if you're listening to this podcast or watching this on YouTube, you can hit pause and go back and watch uh, the original one we had with he and Darren Colum, where we went over a lot of the technology around Walter Russell. Today, we're going to focus a little bit more on his cosmogony and core philosophies. And just kind of go down deep the rabbit hole of Walter Russell. But if you want to hit pause and go watch that first, that'll give you a wonderful background. Um, But uh, today we're going to, like I said, travel deeper down the Russell rabbit hole, reveal what could be the remedy to every issue we presently witness through world events. The most critical element of this science-based perspective is the inescapable conclusion that each and every one of us is the solution we seek. Dr. Walter Russell's teachings give to mankind a scientific and living philosophic understanding of man himself, the mind of man, the soul of man, and his relationship to the universal one. The unfoldment of the coming sense or new faculty, commonly referred to as cosmic consciousness, stands before mankind in this dawning electric age. It is ours for the asking. Metascience, metascientist, musician, philosopher, poet, practitioner of universal law, natural science and living philosophy, audio and video producer, broadcaster, host of the series Interviews and Exploration of Consciousness, currently serving as president of the University of Science and Philosophy, formerly the Walter Russell Foundation since January 1st, 2016. We welcome Matt Presti. How are you today, Matt?
1: Thank you, Mike. I'm doing well. How are you?
0: wonderful thanks so much good. and and how are you today bear
2: i'm doing good thank you just telling Matt off air that we've already had a full day. We're in the midst of planting here and we're a little bit behind as we always say we're going to get ahead of it this year but we never quite do because there's so much. But anyway uh, yeah everything's good you know just kind of farming lifestyle. So Matt great to see you here. Uh, thanks so much. I know you're a busy man and and uh, just you know uh, it means a lot to us to have you here and make time for us. Uh, you know last time uh, when we talked on air we we're I was uh, saying how when I found the work of Walter Russell through you uh you know I started watching some of your videos online and that was quite a few years ago now um for the first time ever I could make sense out of my metaphysical studies uh, and and then have a link between them and you know what I learned in you know my conventional studies in medicine and so forth and uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, not only did was that link there and a real scientific basis for it, but a lot of my alternative medicine practices, like Chinese medicine and so forth, uh, you know, I no longer had to rely on cultural terms and, you know, different uh, historical times where they use terminologies that are foreign to us here in the West. And uh, so Walter Russell, I always considered uh, the missing link. And thanks to you, uh, you know, I found him cause you've done an amazing body of work, just putting his work out. I see you're in your, uh, man cave there today. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, no. you know, sh- after I got into Walter Russell, um, I got equally as, uh, Uh, enthused about your uh, work as a musician. Uh, Matt is an accomplished musician and and just amazing. And in fact, when you get into the work of Walter Russell, since we're talking about the universe being a product of tonal fields, I say, you know, I guess you could say it that way even. um, I think a musician probably has a a better chance at understanding walter's work than somebody like myself that has a background in conventional sciences so welcome matt uh good to have you here i'd love to talk about a whole lot of things uh you have a, a you know 40 acres that you live on you you know uh have a certain amount of self-sufficiency and grow your own food and raise chickens and i'm uh i'm i'm just as happy to talk about those sorts of things and also about your music. But I know a lot of our audience wants to dive a little deeper into uh, Walter Russell. So we should probably start there. And I just want to say one last thing and then we'll just let you talk the remainder. Um, You know, I heard your interview on Crow Triple Seven, which was great. And uh, as I mentioned, alchemy and metaphysics and those sorts of things that always seem to be a little bit mystical, but Walter Russell brings them into more of a scientific light. The way you explained the the circle and the square uh, in the old alchemical, um, you know, symbology, Walter Russell brought it alchemy to a three dimensional state. And uh, that to me was the best thing I ever heard, you know, to just distinctly, uh, you know, create an understanding about what Walter Russell did. So, Matt, uh, wherever you'd like to take it away.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, I just have to thank my nephew, Joe, for purchasing 33 acres next to us, which I'm the steward for. And he's he's a great guy and also a fellow Russell student. But, uh, yeah, just I think it's important, especially with all that's going on in the world that we all start looking at practicing some form of self-sufficiency, you know, that government is not the end all be all. And, you know, that's part of what the Russell teachings taught me was a lot of self-sufficiency instead of going to other people with your problems, you know, talk with God about it, which is an internal dialogue that takes place between your conscience, your still small voice and your, your, uh, yourself, really. So there's two, two sets of, uh, two directions of thinking. Thinking outwardly, which could be called the ego, which is necessary, in balance with the ego, which is the internal direction of thinking. So, you know, everything must have an opposite, but there's always a fulcrum between the opposites. And the goal is to get to the fulcrum so that you choose the opposite when it's time or when it's needed. So, you know, I w- wrote a post recently and uh, people can visit uh, minds.com forward slash Matt Presti and uh, read all my posts that are archived there. Um, but basically we have death as one half of the wave of creation and life as the other. And it's really up to us which one we wanna choose. And a lot of our, the things we're seeing in the world today are, are just, you know, the worship of the death half of the wave. You know, cities burning, uh, division, riots, things of that nature are all an expression of the death half of, of the wave, which you could call, con- you know, de- deconstruction or destruction, um, exhalation, you know, things of this nature, those opposites that are on the left hand of the spectrum. And then you have your right hand spectrum of opposites, which are creation, construction, you know, thinking and and so on. But each and every opposite can be centered within by the fulcrum allowing one to more or less not, not not to escape duality but to no longer be a slave to it and that's really one of the great things that russell brought to me was he he pointed out again like you said the going from two-dimensional alchemy to three-dimensional alchemy which is also three-dimensional her- hermeticism and when you act from a place of knowing versus just thinking Either inwardly or outwardly, you're able to choose whichever course of action is, is more necessary at the moment. And I think um, that's what cosmic you know man truly is becoming is a, is, a per, is a person, an individual who has found and made a relationship with the center of themselves and develops and inculcates that ability to either create or destroy. And that's, that's kind of a, a large responsibility. But um, in, in rounding out to, to your comment about three-dimensional alchemy, you know, the great thing about the Russell teachings, unlike other teachings, is it's not just a duality teaching, it's a triality teaching. And he emphasizes so many times about the fulcrum as being the location of the creator, which would be our soul as part of the universal soul And you see all these other writings by illuminates throughout history, mystics throughout history and time immemorial who talk about this center point of stillness of silence, which is contradictory, honestly, to the new age movement talking about raising our vibrations. You know, the actual best advice comes from the mystics, not uh, new age teachers, but mystics who say, lower your vibration towards stillness Learn to listen to the still small voice inside you, which is a very quiet knowing and it doesn't speak in words, it speaks in waves and it will instruct you as to your decision. And it's more or less also in, in line with the Heart Math Institute, which says, ask your heart the question, not your head. So there's a lot of just, you know, synchronicities and alignments within these different fields of study, especially about psychology, the mind, spirituality and they all start to you know be, for me because of understanding the russell teachings they start to weave together and that's that's one of the beautiful things i think you you take away from the russell teachings is the ability to go back and reread things you might have read years ago and find the golden threads that unify those things together once you put that third strand of dna which is not really a strand it's it's a divisionary line of equilibrium which unites the divided self the two hemispheres and that's why you know the 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 the, uh, Nazarene said seek ye the kingdom of heaven within it's not out here it's right here in the center of our two hemispheres and that's where we learn to develop and inculcate a moment-to-moment relationship with the creator which is our own conscience to the degree that we're aware that it is
2: so Matt um I'd like to get your take on this. You know, uh, you go into the work of Tesla. He talks about the magic of nine, the three times three, all the mystical schools were nine, and the three times three, you go into the Enneagram, the Sufi system of emotional profiling, and it's, it's the same thing. It's that, uh, you know, that same diagram that you see over and over again. So now uh, taking Walter Russell and acknowledging him as, you know, turning the circle and the the square into the three-dimensionality as far as the cube and the sphere. Um, and, and, you know, you can explain it better than myself, but we, the cube, of course, creates the six planes that, you know, allow the interface of the electrical vectors to create the sphere. But then in the middle of that, the final three is the XYZ axis, right, that uh, allows the the final third there. So, how would you explain if we were to look at the cube, the sphere, the the inner x, y, z three dimensional axis? How would we explain that? As far as or or how could we think of those? Like, would the would the three dimensionality inside the the cube? Would that be our soul that's interjecting, or would that be the 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 creator? Um, anyway, just how could you help us understand all of that?
1: Right. Well, the cube is the sphere expanded, and the sphere is the cube compressed, as Russell taught. And basically what that means is around every body in existence, be it an atom or a galaxy, is an invisible cube of zero motion, absolute cold, and zero curvature. And basically that's the invisible space geometry, which is also what Euclid discovered, straight lines, the triangle, the square, the you know, the hexagon, and so, so on and so forth. Of course, there are no straight lines in nature, but behind nature, the mind scaffolding that creates the curvature forms that are myriad in nature are all done so through that invisible space geometry, which is the scaffolding. Of course, you have to build scaffolding to build an arch. And I would say if anybody could, you know, YouTube the, uh, or Google the, uh, the building of the arch or any capital dome you'll see a lot of straight line structure around all this curvature prior to the curvature coming into into existence. It can't happen any other way. So the very scaffolding construction sites use to build curved domes, the arch for instance, again, or just, you know, a lot of different buildings for that matter are, are straight line, you know, forms and, uh, so that discovery of euclid the platonic salads was was a huge one which benefited architecture and enabled man to also go beyond his his limits with building at that time uh the 369 basically when you have that cube that surrounds the body you have your eight corners and then your center point is nine and so that would be as Walter said, the point in the center is the creator, but then so is the, so is the cube that surrounds it. So the six planes of zero curvature, uh, absolute cold, and are the location of the creator. And the points are the dynamic spherical bodies that reflect light from one wave field to another. Uh, much like a mirror, they reverse direction at the at that corner point. So all bodies are, you know, holographic in nature. Around every cell is a cube. Around every atom is a cube. Around every galaxy is a cube. The cubes don't move, but they're omnipresent as needed as a body moves. In much the same way, your consciousness moves with the body. I should say the body moves upon the conscious field. And a great picture to look at, and I've said this in many past interviews, is look up inverted galaxies, type inverted galaxy into a search engine and look at some of the images. And you'll see that that white field, which is dark to our senses, when you illuminate space, you're actually showing basically a God selfie. God is that field of mind, which is everywhere. It's omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. And this comes directly from Walter's teachings, his drawings of the real universe of the white magnetic light of mind, which is dark to man's senses. So that mind field is literally everywhere. That's why you can go to the South Pole, the North Pole. You could go to the equator and consciousness is still there. It doesn't disappear because you go too far South or North or even into space or even to the moon. So ultimately consciousness is literally everywhere. It's your body. That's not everywhere and is confined to its own cube wave field. Well, yeah, the 369 is basically Nikola Tesla knew, and, and he also, uh, as I've said before, too, advised Russell to lock his teachings away in a sepulcher for a thousand years because mankind wasn't unfolded enough. But I think he is unfolded enough, and I think a lot of us are ready. And the beauty of the Russell teachings is that they can be applied to so many fields, uh, farming, biology, chemistry, uh, you name it, engineering uh metallurgy you know all these different fields and many people have actually applied to all these different fields a lot of these teachings and come up with some really incredible new alloys and and, you know i've talked to people in chemical companies that have used his his research and his charts and you know there's a lot of benefits that can come from this it can literally transform society as we know it
0: um matt and In, in terms of Walter being an illuminary versus, you know, uh, a philosopher or just a thinker, could you give our audience a little breakdown on what that means and his experience and how with that, you know, the concept of where he got this information? Because I think it's a fascinating concept and what makes him so so unique compared to a lot of, um, you know, philosophers and thinkers and artists, et cetera, From the last, you know, two thousand years.
1: Yeah. Well, Walter Russell had no special interest in science. In fact, it wasn't until his illumination of 1921, May, which actually occurred during a solar uh, mass coronal ejection, I believe, which knocked out telecom wires and uh, telecommunication wires back in that time as well in New York. but. Interestingly that it coincided with that, but basically the illumination experience is one where you leave the dualistic electric mode of your brain. There's an electric short circuit between the lobes and you enter into the white light of mind. Sometimes people don't fully enter. It's just a flash. Like for instance, HW Percival stepped off a curb in New York city uh, and for an instantaneous five second, period of time he experienced the white light he ended up spending the next 40 years of his life trying to communicate that experience through his novels Thinking and Destiny volume one and two you know there's a lot of people Walt Whitman had multiple flashes of light which enabled him to write Leaves of Grass and so many other things you know the great poets the incredible artists the even musicians uh in sports you know you can you can experience the flash which they also call the zone and so your body like operates almost out of time in a perfect sync with your environment and so that's again that's what some people like dr. Morris Buck said he believes that mankind is entering into the age of cosmic awareness where we're just becoming more centered and and that's what a lot of these mystics and authors Lao Tzu and others going back throughout time have tried to bring to man was the awareness of his own divinity which is tap dead center of your body it it unites the two hemispheres and so with russell's illumination 1921 it was very typical of all the other illuminates who i recommend a great book by dr morris richard morris buck called cosmic consciousness and he studied some 40 cases of people who had this experience and walter russell was not one of those people because it was written prior to um, Dr. Russell's experience, but and Buck had already passed in 1901. But nonetheless, uh, the experience was a classical one. It would have fit directly into Dr. Buck's research. And for 39 days, Russell experienced the slide of mind. He wrote down some 40,000 words and drew hundreds of charts and drawings from this experience, which were chemistry charts, drawings of the wave of creation, scientific charts. And many others, as well as his 40,000 words that he called the message of the divine Iliad, which was his divine journey into that light. He would often have these experiences from childhood uh, every year around his birthday from the age of seven, but major ones every seven years. So at 7, 14, when he had his near death experience, he actually did die of black diphtheria and was. And reawoke, completely healed from it after two doctors had pronounced him dead. He had one at the age of twenty one you know, major one, and then his his biggest and most major at forty nine years old, which was the seven times seven and so that was his thirty nine day illumination. I, you can go just on for hours about the incredibleness of all uh, the, the research you know i 've tried to compile a lot of this research of illumination in my series Knowing the Creator 101, which can be found on YouTube if you just type that out. But basically that attempts to, you know, break down what illumination is to a more advanced degree with more definition. But it is the rarest of all human experiences, and it is what allowed him to uh, present a new chemistry in his 1926 book, The Universal One, a new cosmogony to the world of science. He printed 1,000 books, uh, 300 went to major universities, and the other 700 went to prominent scientists of the day. And uh, basically his reaction from those folks where only a few got back to him, he said science laughed at, speaking of Universal One, science laughed at it, scoffed at it, and threw it in the wastebasket. So he really felt rejected and, and hurt by the fact that he had presented this to them. But at that point, science was already on a course toward godlessness and removing the creator from creation. And he felt that was their cardinal error.
0: Yeah. The reductionist model, uh, that was really expanded from, um, you know, the age of enlightenment, uh, was at that point pretty much fully adopted. And now we're seeing that, Evoked in a way that um, is leading us to a really perilous state, um, where most of humanity has adopted this. It's it's kind of like we have this duality of thought, where we either have the religious Abrahamic traditions uh, really dominating on the religious spiritual side, or we have the um, materialistic reductionism. And um, look what's happening in the world right now. It's a schizophrenic confusion. Because um, we just don't have the um, ontological basis for really what reality is. Um, Question, you know, Bear and I were talking about this last week in terms of free will. And this relates a lot to what the problem is right now. And I've I've been exploring these notions of late that the reductionist model is all based on cause and effect. And in that notion, we have no free will everything is related to what we do is related to some specific um, cause that predates anything that we decide and it's really a depressing notion and then on the on the more religious side uh the idea is that um our will comes from a godhead or something like that and if you really break it down there's not really a notion of free will there either um, if you kind of really go deep into those ideas, what would Walter Russell, how would he explain free will? Because I assume he was a, he believed in free will because of the, the ontological nature of Russellian um, dynamics here. Um, so, Matt, could you break down Russell's kind of view of how free will works?
1: Yeah, I think he, he basically in his model, he and Leo taught the cause and effect model. Causes mind, causes God, causes stillness, silence, from which sound and motion spring and return to. Um, mind, when it develops to a point, say in the human being, is no longer controlled by instinct. And the proof of free will is the very fact that we have evil. With Without free will, there would be no evil, which is why the Russells blamed mankind for evil and not nature you don't find evil anywhere in nature I, I know people have written you know in the materialist points of view that that an earthquake or a volcano is evil it's certainly not you know um, basically evil would not exist without free will and the proof of that is in nature in nature you see perfect harmony balance rhythmic balanced interchange Um, If there is a volcanic explosion, it it quickly balances itself out. It's not a continuous, you know, 10,000-year eruption or, you know, uh, uh, a lioness hunts a a, a gazelle but doesn't kill them all in a war. You see, they take one, you know, the violence of nature is just one half of the spectrum, but it's, it's an instinctual control. The, The Russell's called nature, basically said nature was under God control. That's why you don't see free will. Uh, Animals do exactly what they've been instinctualized to do and are under that God control. Uh, Humans have been freed from that God control. And so therefore, because we've been freed from it, we can choose the life half of the wave or the death half of the wave of creation to exercise our free will. And when we choose life, life swings at both ends of our pendulum of our choice. Um, A lot of people in our student body are confused when we we talk about life swinging at both ends of the pendulum, because in dualistic thought, in materialistic thought, you, you really tend to think in opposites, and that's unfortunate, because you don't, when you think as a fulcrumized human, you basically can choose which opposite to apply as a solution or not, and the life and the death half of the wave is complete when you see it for what it is. So that choice, that free will choice of either choosing life or death and, and not all death is evil mowing your grass is necessary. You don't do it with the intent to murder your grass or you don't drive your vehicle with the intent to murder bugs, but it just happens. So intent is a lot of it, but free will basically, again, if, if evil exists, it's because of free will. And that's the one thing that nature lacks, is free will. It it does not lack instinct. In fact, most of nature is instinct, except for us. We're the only beings that I'm aware of on the planet that can just completely screw things up outside of their program, which proves to me that that must be free will. And in the case of determinism, you have to make a choice to believe in determinism instead of free will. So that is a kill shot against determinism. Because if you didn't choose freely to believe determinism, we should all, by value of the very theory of determinism, believe in it automatically.
0: I know, isn't that funny? What a paradox there, huh? (laughs) Yeah, a
2: glaring paradox. (laughs) Another another thing with uh, the human experience, it seems not only do we have free will, but our biology actually supports that and um, i don't know matt how much you're aware of uh, a medical discipline developed in germany called new germanic medicine
1: i don't believe that
2: so uh, a gentleman by the name of dr homer who's another one of those very special people on the planet that just (laughs) came tapped in you know he was a conventional medic and what he understood is that we embryologically unfold uh, to incorporate all the different components of the animal kingdom, and with it are those instinctual reactions. However, when our social counterparts of uh, you know the animal life, for instance, in the might be a survival situation in the animal kingdom, whereas in a human experience we translate it into a social issue you know relative to Abandonment or you know all the issues we have about survival, you know linked to money and 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 that sort of thing so um, when those events happen and create a, a, a trauma or a conflict in the psyche Then what he found and demonstrated by cat scan is that a very specific part of the brain would be triggered by the psyche which i like because it also you know brings in the fact that electrical vectors are affecting biology and then he established that from that trigger in the brain it would hit the corresponding area in the body to holographically uh represent the trauma that would then allow it to relieve the pressure that maybe an animal or somebody just uh, on you know basic instinct, reactional kind of behavior. Uh, The pressure is relieved by our biology. Unfortunately, the medical profession has mistaken that as disease and they impede that process and we could go further into how we screw that up, but if it was left on its own, and back in my early experience, uh, you know, looking through, uh, you know, doing autopsies and things, you'd see scars in the body where cancers would come and go. That was just the norm, and now it's not the norm anymore. And there's reasons for that. But the point is, is biology holographically expresses those electrical vectors that are, you know, first trigger the brain center, the corresponding body area, the body acts it out pressure is relieved. And then uh, it gives, uh, I believe what the design is, is just my own speculation is it gives mankind the ability to transcend reactionary instinctual behavior into more of a rational uh, conscious sort of behavior.
1: Oh, that's very interesting. You mentioned holographic and, you know, you think of uh, obviously the holographic nature of the universe and, within the mind itself um basically the, the holographic nature of reality is a infinite uh complexity of as above so below and as within so without so yeah that's that's a great thing to consider that you know if we holographically envision healing on a different level how would that affect the body if they're interrelated and Course it's an electric universe, a spiral fractal dynamic, holographic optical universe, not a gravitic radiative one as uh in an exhalatory universe as current mainstream science believes. So yeah, those kinds of dynamics for healing are, you know, unspeakably cool to consider, you know, where we could take this if these things are applied. You should send me a link, an email for that. Oh, yeah, you'll, you'll love discipline. it. Walton Russell, yeah.
2: of course, was the first one that uh, you know, explained how the hologram works. And maybe you could talk more about that as far as how these vectors reproduce themselves over and over and over again. So when you understand the basic principles that make logical sense to, I think, most people that delve into his work, then you realize that anything that happens on any level has to be the same thing repeating over and over. So if I'm a doctor type and I'm looking at something in the body, how can I not go to that level of, uh, you know, a little bit upstream where those uh, vectors are originating from the first place. And it also explains exactly how Dr. Homer's work with new German medicine is, is actually spot on it. You know, we have instruments now where we can read the wave fields uh, emanating uh, from the body or from a DNA sample and uh, so-called inanimate objects either and, and understand where the, uh, you know, the forces are skewed, you know, in the, in the north-south or east-west polarities and then also uh, be able to extrapolate what that means on a biological level and then give you you know ideas on how to treat so uh you know that's where in my experience when i started studying walter russell he explained all these things that we were involved with but there was that little gap in between of not quite connecting the dots but intuitively knowing that it was right on and and uh you know so Um, Maybe uh, if you could expound a little bit about uh, how the hologram reproduces itself.
1: Yeah, well, light travels. uh, I should just say light does not travel, according to Walter Russell. It's reproduced wave field to wave field. So let's just take sunlight, for instance. Apparently, they say it takes eight seconds for so-called photons to leave the sun and travel to the Earth. Walter would say that light never leaves the sun, that its radiation is expressed and hits its cubic wave field boundary. So there's a cube surrounding the sun as well as the earth, as well as, like I said earlier, everybody in motion. When it hits that wave field, it's at maximum expanse. So think of it like a gunshot or somebody using a hammer. Um, If you're far enough away from that person hitting that hammer or firing that gun you won't hear it and what happens to the sound wave is it it's very compressed that's why when your ear is right up next to a speaker at a rock concert it'll blow it'll blow your eardrum out right so the farther away you get from that speaker the more expansive that spherical wave pattern becomes it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until the waves are so low and so spread out that it no longer can reconstitute in your ear What radar made possible was able to recompress waves. So the waves of enemy planes that are created through their going through the atmosphere could be shrunk back down, much like satellite communication between your satellite on your house and a satellite in space. You know, that wave reaches a maximum point of expansion. And because you have a counter corner, radar corner reflector, that wave then shrinks back down into a discernible signal to the human ear and eye. And much in the same way, the sunlight radiates from the sun, expands outward to its wave field boundary of zero curvature, and then reverses and reconstitutes and compresses into heat and light on the surface of the earth. So that's about the best way I can explain it. But, you know, basically there's always two motions and and a compression and an expansion. So the wave fields of space compress into the sun, and at the sun's equator expand back out into space, much like two poles of every planet breathe in the three octaves of elements prior to hydrogen, which are full-toned elements that science really has yet to discover. They've discovered some, but they falsely call them isotopes. They're actually full-toned elements, according to Russell. So these are what Russell called the invisible space gases. Um, Those are compressed and breathed in through the poles of every object, including our two nostrils. We breathe in, and we have to reverse course and exhale through our equator, right? This is our equator, and these are our two hemispheres, perfectly matched. And that is always, we could breathe in the ice-cold air of the Arctic and still exhale heat. In much way, the, the planet will breathe in the cold gases of space, and then exhale heat at the equators. And that's really, if you just look at all bodies as breathing entities, you'll really start to understand Russell's science better because you can't, and especially as to the location of the creator, this is one more beautiful point that I think would go a long way to satisfy science as to what, how, how we are bound and centered by the mind field, which we call God. Again, think of that inverted galaxy picture, that white light that's omnipresent, which all bodies move upon. That's the great mirror that does not lie. So if we put out a thought of destruction, what do you see as the reflection? Destruction, right? And we've seen it on the news night after night, you know, defacing, tearing things down, destroying. That's because that's what's in the mind. And when that is projected onto the the surface outer world, that's the perfect reflection. The, the, the creator will reflect whatever you put out. And that's why I say when you fulcrumize, you can put out death or you can put out life. That is your free will choice. And nobody's bound to make any choice other than their own free will. There are parts in cellular structures and our breathing process, for instance, uh, is instinct controlled. Our heart beats by instinct. If we had to think of our heart beating, you know, you know, what is it, 45 times a minute on average? How would we be able to get anything else done? If we had to think about breathing and, and digesting and doing all the things our body does instinctually, we wouldn't have time to plan or to, to make or to create. So fortunately, God runs a lot of that for us. But in the breathing process to locate God, when you breathe in, you can only go so far. You hit a cubic wave field boundary. You have to reverse direction. And then you breathe out all the way. You hit the cubic wave field again. You're actually meeting God. Okay? That's an interesting prospect. He's right there all the time. Couldn't so much as lift your little finger. And I mean the great mother-father. It's, it's the, uh, the one, as they call it. But it is that mind field that is omnipresent throughout the universe, controlling, centering, and bounding all motions and reflecting the minds of the free will choices of the human race. And um, I guess that's a good place to turn it back over to you. I could go on for hours and hours.
2: Yeah, I could listen to you for hours. So um, (laughs) you mentioned movement and there's really no movement. So are what we're talking about when we talk about the speed of light, for instance, 186,400, what, miles per second or something. Um, So what we're talking about is a sequential outpitching, like almost like, like it takes that many frames to go by rather than things actually moving? How would you explain that?
1: Well, Walter would say that considering like uranium and plutonium, the emission rate of those kinds of elements Mm -hmm. is very high. And I believe that's where we got our measurement of light at 186,000 miles per second. Um, Some of the other elements like hydrogen may not reproduce its wave field that quickly. So, you know, prior to hydrogen, we don't see any wave field emission with our, our human eye because it's too small, or too, I, I would say the waves are too long for us to reef, uh constitute into an electric sensation. So again, God is not a vibration. There is absolutely no vibration of the spirit whatsoever, the Russells wrote, which is why science can't find the creator and why they've replace the looking for the creator with this so-called God particle or dark matter. There's a myriad of other terms, which are all materialistic in their nature. But mind is really the the, the field that they should understand. They removed mind from creation, which is cause and have since tried to explain cause using effects to explain it. So it's like using the sound of a gunshot to explain a bullet. It, It doesn't explain it at all. When it's the mind that pulls the trigger, it's completely losing sight of the, the artist behind creation. Again, as he said, when you remove when science removed the creator from creation, that was their cardinal error, because you removed cause from the effect of creation. Um, you can search all you want for Leonardo da Vinci and the Mona Lisa, you will not find him. You will just find drops of paint. Uh, you could go into the paint as zoom in as far as you want, you will not find the soul of Leonardo da Vinci though his mind is the creator that painted it. And so like the poem is not the poet. The play is not the playwright. The symphony is not the composer. And these are the kinds of things Walter would use to explain, you know, how you think mentally about the creator and the field, which you're a part of. You're a drop in that ocean.
0: Yeah, the after effects. Always looking at the after effects that's the problem with modern science, right? And that's the crux of the whole issue that they have. Um, you know, some things interesting that are happening in science uh, is like the psi um, psychology studies where they've proven precognition, that humans have the ability. I forgot the gentleman who did the study. I think it was in uh, in the 2000s and then it was repeated 2014 where uh, they did a study where they had individuals see a random string of numbers and try to remember as many as they could. And then they had them write them down. And um, they found that those that wrote them down um, after actually were able to better remember before, if that makes any sense. So they were able to show that we have some sort of precognition and that, that really messes with their idea of time and, uh, and our ability and how time works and how, how our mental state works. And, I have a feeling that Walter Russell would be able to explain this in a very simple way. Um, is, what was the kind of aspect of how time um, relates to matter in terms of Russell versus the you know, more classic uh, relativity that like an Einstein would, would had developed?
1: Right. Well, Einstein borrowed his fourth dimensional time as basically from Edwin Abbott who wrote the book Flatlanders and introduced this idea of a dimension beyond the third. Time doesn't really exist. I mean, it's a mental construct, one could say. Um, Think of time as distance. Think of time like a tape measure. Uh, We we can measure distance in feet, inches, miles, you know, and we can also measure time in, in seconds, minutes, hours, days, and such. But really it doesn't have an existence. It's just a measuring tape. And so really the only time is now, and it's happening everywhere in the universe right at this very moment. And we can think backward in so-called time or forward in time, but we can't move the whole universe forward or backward in time. It just is. And I think being comfortable with that fact, you know, you'll, you'll come to be able to express more joy in your life knowing that you can't do anything to change the moment, which is eternal. It's an eternal moment in an eternal universe of rhythmic, balanced interchangings and simulations we call bodies. Uh, The beauty of Russell is, you know, he, he, in the Universal One, he mentioned 18 dimensions. And again, we have the science fiction about dimensions, which are parallel universes right next to us where we're doing other things, the opposite of what we're doing here. There's all these science fiction phantasmagorias that. That populate the human imagination, but we have a very real three-dimensional universe of dimensionality. Which Russell said there are basically 18 dimensions. I'll name just a few as an example: color, temperature, uh, length, breadth, width, weight, uh, time, uh, tone. These are these are actual dimensions of a third-dimensional reality. There's no need to go into a imaginary fourth dimension to compensate for motions in the third to me you're you're that's a form of escapism and and that's why uh, science is not really science anymore it's more like scientism and if you know there, there's always <laughs> again you, you've got super string theory t- in the 11 super dimension the 11th dimensions of string theory you've got all these different uh, Additions to gravity as they find new discoveries, they have to create new math formulas for the previous one to make sense and fit into the mold. And as Russell would say, if you can't explain the universe to a seven year old, you're in the wrong business. (laughs) So, really, it's a lot simpler than we've made it out to be. The effects of cause are so multitudinous and complex that we have gone with our material senses into basically a box canyon and we need to start over we need to come out back out of that box canyon and start back from a point of knowing you know it's easier to know your creation the creation than it is to try and analyze its effects and if you just look at the multitudinous amounts of data bulk data that has to be gathered on all these different you know experiments and things like that Whereas cause is a very simple one idea and it can be known in the mind. You know, Much to say that you can't really prove love exists in a laboratory, but we all know it does. How do we know? Because we know that we know that we know. And this is what science lacks the benefit of knowing. It's always about sensing. It's always about proving uh, empirically and reduc- reducing everything to quantitative formats of sensible data again you can't reduce love to a sensory perception it is something beyond sensory it's 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 a timeless idea but it can be known by the mind and so can many of
2: course and of course in conventional studies we're taught one half the equation we're taught that things move in one direction I've always thought of time as, um, you know, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Walter would explain as something like uh, data being compressed, uh, you know, and sort of stratified along the way. If you're just looking at the compression half of the cycle, and if we're hypnotized into that unidirectional flow as we are in our mindset, the way we're taught, then you are going to ex- uh, um, experience those increments as time frames. Whereas if you're back on the fulcrum and seeing the you know, the flow in both directions Simultaneously, you realize that, you know, that isn't happening Um, and and, and then uh, it gets into another thing. I just want to get your explanation on it Which is gravity and and I think it's good that we're hitting all these kind of single topics today because those are the things I get Uh asked to me all the time like well, what about gravity? What about you know, this and that and uh, so if you're looking at stratifying data and compressing and explaining that is, you know, maybe an experience of time. Also, we're talking about the, that data being compressed under pressure, you know, because that's the way the, the electrical hydraulic, the way I think of it, you know, works. And on the other hand, if the, um, if you're looking at the, uh, electrical vectors, um, how would I say it? Um, Not just in terms of stratification for uh, uh, You know to create that pressure to experience time but also to uh, create the pressure differentials that bodies Occupying different pressures and are constantly seeking balance with each other which in fact explains what? uh, Gravity really is rather than a separate force in nature that somehow makes everything obey its uh, its wishes
1: Right. I think you could probably
2: explain that a lot better.
1: In the Universal One, Russell had more than one force. He revised his work later, and the greatest clarification and maturation of his work was to be found in the book Atomic Suicide. Um, You can skip the whole first intro monologue and go straight to the first chapter, if you wish, because that's really where they cover more of the, the history of radioactive the use of the death half of the wave of elements as an energy source. So ultimately, he would later come to clarify in that book that electricity is the only force in the universe and it does a seeming two things. It compresses and it expands. So speaking of gravity, just imagine again that inverted galaxy picture. It's such a great uh, photograph, and there's many of them. And you can even take yourself, you have Adobe Photoshop or any other editing software, you can take a picture of any series of pictures of Hubble, of the galaxies, of space, any of it, and you just go to edit and invert the picture. And what is black becomes white and what is light becomes dark. And so there is that, again, that field of the the mind of God, which is omnipresent. And that explains how consciousness can be omnipresent as well because it doesn't just appear in in Missouri or in California. Consciousness is wherever your body goes. That's because it is omnipresent though your body is limited and confined to a material planet. So gravity is actually stillness. And what happens in the division of that white light, in that field wherever thing a thing is born be it a star a planet or a human um, let's just take the the sperm and the egg for instance when that sperm enters into the egg a division takes place well that very first division creates two poles which are called gravity poles in russell science because they don't move they're points of stillness which basically hold and, and center And bound the motions of the spirals that meet so so you have basically three points set up a center point two points appear called poles and then the rhythmic balanced interchange begins between those three which again you have your three and then you have your six planes of the cube and then your nine with your eight corners and center which create the motions so ultimately Gravity is stillness. Gravity is that which does not move. It's it's the polarity. Again, we live in a polarized universe. So by having three distinct points, um, that center point and the two poles of gravity, that creates the polarity, which then creates the reversals, which then create the rhythm. And so the heart itself, you know, does not form for quite a bit later on in, in the, in the uh, embryo. What, what is pumping the blood then? So the heart is more an implosion device rather than a pump because the, blo- the blood is imploding through, you know, the fetus until the heart eventually or the embryo until the heart begins to form. So ultimately, gravity is in control, but it's better to think in terms that gravity is, is stillness, which controls the motions through the poles and through the center point, which is also what happens to create the three-dimensional spherical reality. So your your first plane, your inertial plane, and then you're, you're finally completing uh, the cubic you know forms of body, and we are cubic in our nature. we have a front, a back, a left, a right, a top, and a bottom. We are literally cubic in nature, hmm. and all of our cells spherical. so our very bodies themselves are the experimental evidence or they're the evidence that we need when we want to analyze and line up russell 's science. You just you look at any body starting with your own, you can clearly know that you have two hemispheres. You're bounded, you have your own space around you. And that's why people who have a very large wave field of sensory perception, sometimes they like to avoid crowds. Some people can feel when they're at a store, someone walks by and, and they're like, my God, what's wrong with them, right? Why do we feel those things? Because our wave fields are interchanging, you know, and the radars into our field And so when we we see images on TV of violence, it it affects the wave field, you know? And so it's very important to consider, again, the life half of the wave, which is basically nature's the perfect demonstrator of the life half of the wave. There is also the death half of the wave. But for humans, the reason why we keep shooting ourselves in in our own feet and entering into dark ages periodically and, and seeing our civilizations dissolve because we haven't learned to uh, focus on the, de- but only on the deaf half of the way for the most part. And we get what we focus on. So as we're multiplying the deaf half of the wave, we're seeing the arts crumble. We're seeing, you know, more and more dec- decadence in the arts and in, in the culture and in the very things people do and how they interact with each other. The Russells, stress that the need of both is very important. And to look at nature is to really see such continuity. That's why nature doesn't rise and fall. It's nature doesn't collapse like man's civilizations do, because it's achieved a perfect balance between its opposites. And that's what we can learn from ourselves to, to enact and to mimic nature is going to be our saving grace in the end of this. Yeah.
0: So on the gravity side of things real quick in terms of the electrical idea, you could think of almost as like an anode and diode. Um, you know, as you talk about the poles of stillness there, um, is that kind of an analogy that would work too?
1: Yeah. You got your anode, your cathode, take a guitar your for cathode. instance. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, look over here at my bass guitar. Let's see if I can. Okay. So here, the top of the guitar you have your tuning knobs and the, you can see here's a point of zero this would be a point of gravity where there's no motion down here at the base of the guitar you have another point of zero motion or a gravity pole you could say but when you pluck that string it vibrates right but what doesn't move the two points the top and the bottom do not move, they are still. Another example, and, and this is a great thing to realize too, is that Russell would always say, you know, you can't have duality without a fulcrum. So uh, start noticing the fulcrum in, in your world, start seeing what the door moves on, which is a jam that doesn't move. What do the t- does the tires of your car move on? Stillness, right? Everything moves upon stillness. And that is your, your way to envision locating the gravity shaft, which is always two poles. So I would uh, say just always remember, as, as a student of the Russells, the, the greatest thing you can inculcate and burn into your consciousness is to know there's always three. This is not a duality. We live in a triality. Everything that is dual moves on something that does not move. And I think understanding that which does not move is, you know, that's the great mystery that mankind is slowly learning to discover. And I think the more we discover that, which doesn't move, the more we discover God, because that is the ultimate, uh, the penultimate realization is that the prime actuality of this universe is one of, of absolute equilibrium.
2: So, <clears throat> As we're fond of saying in spiritual circles about raising our frequency, it's really not about raising our frequency. It's about being still.
1: Well, the more still you are, the more you can entertain, uh, I should say, the the stiller you are, the the further out your um, awareness goes into the field. You know, it's very hard to do jumping jacks and try to meditate. Um, If you have a fever, that's a very death, a hardcore death wave, um, radioactive kind of uh, mode of being for a human being. You know, you're sweating, you're 104 degrees, it's close to death, right? That's a very high vibration. An earthquake is an extremely high vibration. Look what it does to a liquor store. My God. (laughs) <laughs> you know, just all, all the broken glass and the destruction. Anything destructive is in the dust half of the wave. That's why the Russells warned us against using plutonium and uranium, which are highly deadly metals, which have a purpose thousands of feet below the earth with creating humus and 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 uh, breaking up soil and rocks so that it can create water. It has its purpose where it is, where where its pressure condition is. But when we dig that stuff up, bring it to the surface, purify it, and then light it on fire with a reaction, you know, that's why our science is so far ahead of itself that it can't see the effects of its own cause. And so they they have, how can we call ourselves advanced in science when we can't put out fires that we start? You know, it's ludicrous to think we're advanced when we can't even, you know, look what they're doing with Fukushima. They've run out of places to store the water. And I know there's a lot of people who might think, oh, you know, radioactivity is, is not true. Well, you go out, sit out in the sun naked long enough and tell me radioactivity is a lie or a conspiracy. Yeah, tell me when your body's sunburned, third degree, there's no such thing as radioactivity. I mean, I don't know where people get these conspiracies, but it's absolutely, you know, radioactivity is, is a dangerous thing and we should be very wary of using it as a fuel source.
0: Matt, uh, in terms of Fukushima, when I, I remember when that all happened, I had the major freak out on that. And uh, we, it's, a, it's funny how, um, how amnesic uh, <laughs> humankind is, right? It was, that's kind of like been forgotten. Meanwhile, that's just a, uh, a septic tank of radioactivity going into the ocean um, and, and very scary. Um, but as Walter talks about the age of transmutation, Um, What is your idea in terms of our ability to transmute these radioactive uh, particles or this waste into something that's beneficial to help humanity? Is that something that is easily achievable if we have that technology or know-how?
1: If we put the effort into restoring our oceans to a more balanced rhythm... In, in the way that we did with trying to make ventilators in this country during this recent COVID uh, you know, pandemic, then we could certainly do this and start reversing the effects of the damage that we've caused to our oceans. And again, Fukushima used so many water containers, huge you know, 5,000 gallon water towers and drums, and, and they've completely filled the place with drums and now they're just releasing the water into the ocean because they've run out of space to store it. It's unfortunate. But what we could do immediately is launch the effort. People see that they do, it's very simple. That You just have to, you have to unlearn what you've learned when it comes to science because it's not entirely accurate. If it was, we would not have these disasters. We would, we would be able to deal with them, number one. So that tells me that the science isn't right. You know, and I'm not saying all science, particularly nuclear science, which created the, the likes of Fukushima and other, you know, catastrophes. But ultimately, we could affix every boat, every plane, every car with a small device that much like a radiator would intake air into it. It would electrically, gyroscopically transmute that air and release clean, pure hydrogen, oxygen or whatever element you really wanted to. I mean, yeah, you could do this electrically, but we have to start thinking of the universe in terms of an electric universe, as opposed to a gravitic, radiative one. You know, when you understand that this two-way universe is not a one-way, but a two-way universe, it's not just a one, you try exhaling, and keep on exhaling, you can't do it, and neither can the universe, because it's a body that was built with a dualistic motion, how can how can anything be mono in the universe? You know, again, the only mono is the mind field, and that's what creates the opposites, and that's what the mystics beg that we get in touch with that, which is super sensible. It's not supernatural. It's super sensible. It's beyond the senses. It can be known with the mind, and when we begin to think in terms of being the center of of motion you really really begin to get behind motion and understand that the polarity that the the duality of motion centered on a fulcrum can be electrically transmuted now russell said you could you could take large amounts of hydrogen and make it into gold uh, you know people when they finally understand transmutation as an electric cycle an electric transformation of gyroscopic motion all these boats planes cars Everything that's in motion, including your cell, you could fix a backpack on that would run and clean the air as you walked. You know, we could we could literally transform the planet back to a healthy state. And I don't think it's unhealthy necessarily. Uh, you know, there's a lot of camps of people that argue for you know this and that. Is there global warming? Is it a hoax? Well, it could be a little of both. So ultimately, I think if we're going to solve these problems, we have to embrace a new way of looking at the universe. And I think one of the most complete, one of the most holistic, and one of the most seamless cosmologies I've ever personally uh, discovered was Walter Russell's work. And I think to ignore the man because he put the creator back into creation where science removed him is no longer a feasible excuse because he basically defined God to mean mind. And mind is being omnipresent. So if you think of God as consciousness and that omnipresent field of mind, then I think it's it's a a much better way to approach his science. And it's really God (laughs) (laughs) 3.0. You know, we needed to upgrade to the operating system.
2: So since we're the original technology, then it doesn't seem that much of a stretch to me that within our own consciousness, the more we seek that fulcrum point and hold our consciousness there, that then we could perhaps be less vulnerable to these ionizing effects of nuclear radiation and, and that sort of thing as well, which also brings up another segue into 5g. I mean, is in 5g have pretty much the same ionizing effects, uh, uh, as far as what these microwaves are doing to us, as well.
1: Well, there's there's different kinds of five G, and basically, oh, I just touched up on this the other day, and I, I'm. It's it's the the millimeter waves I think are the ones that are dangerous because what you're doing and there, there's two different versions of five G, um, so it's there's actually three there's low, mid, and then. High frequency and the high frequency is what you want to avoid and that's the kind of frequency that they're, they're putting the antennas up every block because it can be blocked by trees it can be blocked by walls it's va- basically a line of sight and because the millimeter wave is so tightly compressed when it hits a flat area or a tree it it's it scatters it becomes discombobulated and is no longer an effective source of you know high stream transmission so really the 5G millimeter waves, you know, and I would check into your local phone companies, whoever in town, I know I had to call Verizon, I had to call AT&T and ask them if we had 5G installed in the city of Salem, Missouri. We do not yet, we only have 4G, but they said they do plan on rolling out 5G. Now whether or not it's millimeter, they didn't know, you know, or whether or not it's, it's mid or, or low frequency. So ultimately, Again, you know, you can go into your router and you can shut off your 5G in your router. I don't even know if the router is is necess- In fact, routers may be millimeter because I noticed when mine was on, it didn't work in the living room, but it worked when I was directly in front of it. So I, I've turned all the, you know, 5G off on pretty much everything I own. And, and you can too. All you need to do is access your, your router and you can turn that off. But ultimately, if you live in a city where they're installing 5g it can certainly have detrimental effects because of the millimeter wave i mean that's you're talking getting hit with a very compressed wave you know and much like a uh, a stun gun is a compressed wave you know it's 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 not the same you know in terms of voltage necessarily but the damage on a cellular level is certainly you know something that should be questioned and more researched and and more looked into for health and safety reasons
2: since we live in a waveform universe, it's not much of a stretch to imagine how these artificial waveforms are affecting every bit of our reality and consciousness. I wanted to ask a question. This is just kind of a curiosity. Um, mm-hmm. I've never read it, anything as such, but did Walter Russell ever delve into or talk about the works of other people that preceded him, people like Walter Stein, uh, uh, Walter Steiner, uh, Rudolf Steiner, or, um, you know, folks of the old Theosophical schools? uh, Did he ever get into that?
1: Um, In their home study course, they mentioned quite a lot of people. Uh, The writings of those people they called, uh, uh, basically that that they would be good co-studies to read, especially Dr. Richard Morris Buck's work, Cosmic Consciousness. Uh, They directly quoted from the Bhagavad Gita, which is an incredible work. Um, A lot of this was, you know, even, even some, some things from, from Buddha, uh, biblical teachings, things that Christ said just to explain in a way how, you know, man is a part of God, not separate of God, that man should love God, not fear God, you know, and that, this God of fear has created a world of fear. So there's been a lot of good co inspirational teachings that they recommend. Again, some of the ones I named, um, there's Khalil Gibran, their, their bookshelf was extensive and we built a library at the museum just to be able to put their books on display and as well as, you know, a few other books, but mostly their books. And it's literally, uh, nine foot tall by 22 foot wide bookshelf filled with all the books that they read. And a lot of them are, you know, a lot of books on mysticism, a lot of books on different religions, you know, Egypt. And, uh, you know, there's a great many works of people they studied, but you know, there's a, in the home study course, I would say is a, is a good list of, of books they recommend as a supplemental teaching.
0: Do you know, if they so in were, the home study, I'll go ahead there. Oh, I was just going to say
2: real quick, sorry, Mike, uh, in the home study course, they have a lot of that information in the margins I'm aware. So how much of that is the actual Russell's, uh, recommendations versus, uh, editors later on?
1: Well, I should say that we've discontinued the fourth edition of the home study course. And just as of today, put the third edition, which was the last edited version by the Russell's themselves back up for sale on philosophy.org. Uh, so I'm pleased to say that, that, uh, i just call it an oversight of previous administrations to change things and insert footnotes has been corrected. Uh, we honor the wishes of our founders, which were that nobody changed a word or so much as a sentence or a phrase. Yeah, and you're looking there at the fourth edition. So the third well, it's edition. The fourth really,
2: ed- it says first edition on the cover, so it's actually right. fourth edition.
1: Well, the fourth edition went back to the first, basically, and then added footnotes, texturized it, with more of a textbook approach. They removed the double spacing, which was, in my opinion, (laughs) thoroughly against what the Russells wanted. The reason the Russells had double spacing in the first, second, third edition that they made were because they wanted you to see the space between the words, to, to absorb the space between the lines. You know, music would be a horrific thing if there was no silence between the notes. So in much the same way, they're, they're trying to, to train us, to ask us to train ourselves to notice the gaps between motion, to notice the silence between sound, to notice the fulcrum between duality. you know. And, and a person that operates the, from their fulcrum is not a reactor, they're a responder. A person that operates from their fulcrum, momentarily, for that still point, when, when a situation happens to them, they're more apt. To make the proper choice to instead of reacting to it you know and that's why i said earlier that there's a small group of people in, in the russell student body who have these teachings uh, misunderstood to their detriment they think literally that if you put love out in the world it creates hate somewhere else in the rest of the world and, and you got to be very careful about people who say such things because nothing could be further from the truth and we even have russell on tape saying it himself that a man who puts out hate hate will swing at both ends of the pendulum whereas a man who puts love out to the world will will discover that love swings at both ends of the pendulum
2: Hmm. this is my favorite book of uh walter russell the universal one Mm -hmm. and uh i just grabbed this because uh you know when you said gave the analogy of music to me this reads like music Mm -hmm. Uh, and i love his style he keeps repeating it's like a song where you you know you repeat certain verses and go to the chorus but he'll kind of give a little bit of a bit of a different slant each time so you know when you get used to that style you realize wow there is a method to the madness because by the end of the topic you know you've you've got it from so different so many different angles and heard it so many times that it really starts to sink in
1: Right, and Russell mastered music, so when he wrote The Divine Iliad, when he wrote The Universal One, The Secret of Light, he used a divine meter in his writing style. I don't think it's ever been discovered, but it it flows like it's spirit flowing, and it's very incredible, and and I've had just multiple people call and, and email and say that Russell's words have this incredible progressive meter this you know this rhythm that that really lifts your soul and uh, I've often said I've read other authors many of them about you know different things uh, from different researches and where I might get one nugget of truth out of one of those books out of Russell it seems like I get a nugget of truth on every single page throughout the whole book so it's like popcorn going off in your head lights of popcorn you know popping and you know realizations you have to set the book down and think to yourself for a second wow that what did he just say that's incredible you know and the inspiration gleaned from it is is really an incredible feeling too and I think in my opinion if we're going to change this world from the drab and the inequality that so many people perceive it has to be done with inspiration which is again the life half the wave you're really going to affect a lot more people By embracing life rather than embracing death and destruction, which only produces and multiplies more death and destruction, which is also divisive. The death half of the wave is division. The life half of the wave is union. So you Mm -hmm. tell me which is going to help the human race more. And we've been coached, trained, indoctrinated by academia, media, education, medicine, science, religion, to worship the death half of this wave of creation. You have the great mystics who point you to the life path of the wave. And I think that's where we, you know, that choice, knowing when death is, is proper to use and when life is proper to use, you know, again, you have to cut your lung. You have to cut up a chicken. If you want to eat, you know, you have to pry vegetables out of the ground, you know, either way, man has to kill when he must kill, but do so when it's, you know, when it helps give life as opposed to killing for the sake of destruction and killing because you 're just multiplying death at that point,
0: yeah, uh, someone like David Icke would say that um, the cult of Baal um, has kind of really influenced mankind for thousands of years, which is the worshipping of the death cycle of that right. death, you know, and um, we 've seen that influence in pop culture, we see it all around us, and uh, there 's almost a, a subconscious worshiping of it in our society and our culture. Meanwhile, I think humanity right now we're seeing is just um, really yearning for the opposite, really yearning for justice and life and peace and harmony. We, I think most humans really want that. I just think um, we're in a philosophical quandary right now that they, we don't have the tools to uh initiate and 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 get that so someone like walter russell and understanding this i think as you said what i loved what you said matt was about the god 3.0 and it's something we really need right now because it really fits into our modern mind and how we can really you know appreciate uh the universe in this way because it really does fit into what we um where we've evolved to as of now and um you know it 's uh it 's very much simple as um as picking up atomic suicide. I think that book is anybody could pick up and start reading and really get into Universal one gets pretty intense um, and it 's like reading uh, it's i feel like i 'm in literature class reading poetry where I, <laughs> you, you are right you have to set it down like i I was reading it again last night, and I was nodding off because it 's just so. It, it is pretty intense reading. Um, Ooh. but the atomic suicide, uh, is, uh, something that, um, I really enjoy. And I mean, all, all the works of Walter and I want to get more and more and just, uh, really get into Walter more and more. So, uh, we'll leave links too on the show notes here where folks can, um, uh, get these books directly from source. Uh, and, um, universal one is a must own. I've, I've got mine right here, bookmarked. <laughs> and, and, right. um, What I was going to ask when we were talking about other influences, do the Russells ever mention hermetics and hermetic laws? Because I feel like a lot of that is in here. I was just reading about, um, you know, the sex principle, and that seems to relate to the principle of gender. And, of course, we were talking about, um, you know, the polarity. We're talking about as above, so below. Seems like there's a lot of um, similarities between these two. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean... uh... It's interesting to note all the different sexes that are socially being constructed. Again, when, when you, God works very simply. You, know, you take two and you divide it into four. Again, that's a death half of the way of worshiping, you know, death over life. So wherever death is, you will find division and you'll find lots of it. And the faster it divides, the more destructive it becomes. A fire, for instance, is a very, Rapid multiplication of the death half of the wave. It's the ultimate consumer of bodies But it takes, you know, 60 years to build an oak tree in nature That's 50 feet tall and, and weighs a hundred tons It takes, you know, 30 seconds to saw it down with a with a chainsaw You know and then maybe a few hours if you cut it into firewood and pile it all on top of each other so nature does things over very long periods of time where where again man seems to be on this hell-bent worship of the death half of the wave uh, in terms of uh could you rephrase your question you, you, you had gone on a point about uh hermetics yeah hermetics
0: well, my question was just um did did the russells ever mention specifically hermetic principles you know the seven principles because there seems to be a lot of um uh similarities in terms of uh Uh, the different laws that they say are universal laws. And what I find so attractive to the Hermetic notions is that um, they really are, um, they're laying out like a universal code of mind that seems to be very similar in a lot of respects. But I feel like the Russells took it to the next level in explaining the um, the sort of uh, mechanics behind it and the actual physics behind it. So I was just curious if they ever actually straight up mentioned uh, these hermetic laws like the, you know, the law of gender, the uh, law of polarity, um, et cetera.
1: Understood. Uh, they did not directly mention, uh, for instance, the Emerald Tablets of Toth, or, but they did, I believe, in a few instances speak of hermeticism, but not so directly as to mention an author to read or necessarily to even study hermetics, um, classical hermetics or not. But ultimately, uh, there's some people who assert that Russell had based his cosmogony off of the Cabalion, which yes. isn't I don't believe that's necessarily true because I couldn't number one, there's no copy of the Kabbalion in their large book collection. Um, we do have copies of everything that that Walter owned, you know his own personal book collection, and uh, yeah, I've got that too uh, that pretty much lines up except for one of the laws of uh, vibration I think it is that says God spends at a very high frequency at Mm -hmm. a very high vibration Uh, Walter would absolutely disagree with that and that's where you know being a person that that studied both I could see that being is the main glaring difference between the philosophies that you know the the so-called three initiates taught in the Kabbalion and then Walter Russell uh, the Russells again. They, they were quoted as saying, "There's absolutely no vibration to the spirit whatsoever," and they even termed their work meta science. They said, "Our work is not metaphysical; it is meta scientific, and the difference is great. Hmm. Great, not just me, not just mediocre, but great. In other words, all their assertions can be backed up with scientific proof evidence." of these motions that Walter wrote of and so ultimately you know you you also if you go and view the works of Lao Tzu you could Meister Eckhart I could name a hundred people that that write about God being stillness you know even in in the Nazarene's own words uh, seek ye the kingdom of heaven within uh, be still and know right so again this idea that you have to raise your vibrations which once you go above carbon in the octave wave, once you get above carbon in, in your vibrational frequency, your body starts to die. So that's why our midpoint at 40 years of age, we're the healthiest we are, and that's why Walter said great men and women come alive at 40 years old, because that's the maturation of our carbon state in our own wave. We are that wave in the, in the lifetime of a body that begins at birth, matures to its midpoint and then dies over the next 40 years at some point death will overtake life in the, the wave of our own bodies we'll start to radiate faster than we can compress and so the life force begins to leave it just takes 40 years to do it so when when they suggest that we raise our vibration you know literally what you're doing is you're going you're you're vibrating into the death half of the wave of creation. Like I said, a fever is akin to a radioactive state of the human body. Why would anybody want to pursue that? You know, and I think we need to call these fallacies out and, and, and uh, you know, these are things that, that could actually take people off the path of enlightenment as opposed right. to, you know, try going inside, become still. And in that stillness is where you, you hear the still small voice they don't call it the loud, vibrating, loud voice. It's the still, small voice because it's silent and it's still, and it's dead center of every human body. And if more people listen to that still, small voice, we wouldn't have burning cities. We wouldn't have racial riots. We wouldn't have uh, people like you know insane psychopaths trying to vaccinate all of us. But unfortunately, these people are incapable of uh, noticing silence. Even though it's there, that's the power source where they can lift that arm and throw the rock through the window. You couldn't do it without that power source. But that was also one of the greatest things that Russell said regarding free will, coming back to free will, is that man can choose to kill with the sword, but by the sword he killeth with, he will also be killed. And so that's why division, multiplication, and the worship of the death half of the wave is only going to create more. And I think the manipulators of this planet know that very well, which is why they never broadcast messages to us about union. They never broadcast messages. And very rarely do you even see any movies or films anymore that are life giving films and and uplifting inspirational films. You really have to dig in in very obscure places to find inspirational.
0: And most of those are panned by the critics as like religious or, you know, of course
1: but here's this dark superhero who, who's, you know, let's, let's pit the good guys against each other in Batman versus Superman part 19. You know, <laughs> how much darkness can we be, you know, can we absorb? How much death, how much worship of, of destructive degenerative art can we take? You know, even our architecture is, is gone beyond the pale. You know, if I, the strip mall for instance is a perfect example, but, um,
0: <laughs> what um bear uh, go ahead and then I wanted to ask uh Nat something, but I know you got something on the tip of your tongue.
2: It was just a quick remark uh you know you Walter is lamenting in atomic suicide how bad things are in the world, and how that mm-hmm. you know decades ago when we unearthed the first uh you know radioactive elements, how it was the beginning of the end, I'm just. I can't imagine what he would think, uh, if, he, if he was here looking around now, uh, it's just go gone, uh, so extreme. Uh, I just want to comment also on Walter, um, you know, saying that he, uh, in his own life demonstrated the ability to elongate that maturation phase and kind of forestall the decline. So it, it shows that we can, you know, perhaps, uh, manipulate even our own biology to a certain extent uh you know if our consciousness is fixated in the right place but go ahead mike
0: um well that was kind of where i was getting at because um you we talk about the death um you know the death cycle and hitting 40 and then going downhill but it seems like we have historically you know some foundational evidence that maybe mankind used to live a lot longer Um, And this goes all the way back to these like Atlantis days. Just curious if the Russells ever talked about Atlantis, like we talked about Steiner early. He he talks about the ages since the Atlantis fall. And he actually talks about how in like around the 1500s, we had a big shift in consciousness that we um, were started to be more mind centric. And before we were more kind of um, living in a dream world in terms of uh, how we related to um, reality. And I was just curious in terms of uh, if the Russells t- discussed Atlantis at all or like ancient, ancient history like that. Um, and um, yeah, relating to our ability to, to kind of transmute our own um, health in a way that where we can have more longevity with this understanding of how these, um, these waves work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, you know, what are you taking in? Number one, is, is it death or is it life? So we breathe in the death of plants called oxygen and exhale death and the plants breathe in the carbon dioxide. So there we have that mutual interchange. Um, Interesting that if we wear masks, we're literally forcing ourselves to breathe our own dead breath. You know, I I find that interesting (laughs) because yeah. And so you're breathing in death at at about 40 to 60% more in each breath uh, by wearing a mask, which can't be healthy. Uh, hypoxia comes to mind. There's a lot of reasons not to wear a mask and a lot of reasons why I would say, again, the powers that never were who just assume power <laughs> would like us all to, you know, cowtail and do whatever they say. But ultimately, um, a healthy mindset. Russell, there's a quote he gave, turn thine eyes from all that is unlovely. I think he lived by that. He he knew how to utilize his day and his night. His night was about expressing through action, through thoughtful action, a creative glorious life. That's why he mastered the five fine arts with only a fourth grade education. He could literally do anything he put his mind to, and I think his message to us was that so can we. And I took that to heart. You know, when I went to visit Swaminarayan in 2010, uh, I wasn't of the best health. I wasn't of the, you know, but I was on the path toward it. And so since then, you know, I, I looked and found in 2010 that all his artwork was in a warehouse. And then it became my desire to get it back out to the world. And if you would have told me in 2010, one day you'll open the Russell Museum and be president of the University of Science and Philosophy, I would have laughed you out of the room. But based on one's desire, which toward the life half to build, to create, it's thoroughly there, you just have to work for it. And I think in the working, in the action of life, creating life choices that, that are from the life half of the wave and, and pointed toward the life half of the wave, you're creating the kind of life, not only for yourself, but a life for life around the lives of those around you. You know, it can only benefit one to have balance in their own home. Have you ever seen somebody try to give you advice whose home is a wreck, whose marriage is completely torn apart? They have no business giving mm-hmm. advice to anybody else on how to balance themselves. Or you find a lot of that in the New Age. You know this this idea that these great spiritual teachers that are propped up are the, you know the, when their own lives are in turmoil. You know, but again the the ultimate guide to, and I would say what Russell might put forth as to a way of increasing longevity for your life is to focus on the life half of the way to do things that are life giving, you know, and that also means eating right. That also means exercise. That also means, you know, taking time to quietly contemplate things, you know, not making rash decisions or, and, and certainly going and sinning no more. <laughs> I mean, that's not some of the best advice we've ever heard. Stop hurting yourself. You know, start to notice, analyze psychologically, what are the things that you do in your life that keep bringing pain and suffering and misery to yourself? You know, and I like to say too, there's nobody on this planet who's hurt myself more than myself. And um, you know, when we start to realize that we are our own worst enemy, when we start to notice the patterns of mind that are pointed toward death and keep reproducing death effects and turn those patterns off you know, integrate them in a shadow work way, as Jung might, you know, point out, and then focus our consciousness toward giving life to ourselves, which then allows us to give it out to the world. I think that's what produces the longevity. That's how oak trees, you know, last for hundreds of years. That's why nature has continuity, because if it was only focused on death, all we experience is volcanic eruptions and earthquakes all the time, right? Right. Yeah, you
0: you mean oak trees aren't victims?
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, and if humans were more like oaks in their character, we wouldn't be victims either. So,
0: and
2: isn't it interesting that even in longevity endeavors, it becomes anti-aging or prevention of disease, and it just brings us back into body consciousness again. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, so it's a delicate dance. It's uh, it's like. Yeah, understanding the principles, but not focusing on the materialistic. But it seems like in the health movement, it brings you right back to the same old box all over again.
1: You have a multi-billion dollar industry in anti-aging. And I think, you know, I've said this in past interviews, and I've quoted Leo, but there's a certain beauty in a woman as she ages. And why cover that up? You know, I told my Lori years ago, I said, let the gray come in. she she'd religiously once a month go to the hairdresser and get the hair dyed and try to keep the, I said, look, I love your soul. You know, be who you are, grow, grow old gracefully and accept yourself. And, and, and since she's done it and now she's got these gray, what look like gray highlights. And some of the, her friends who are women say your hair's so pretty. Where'd you get it done? She's like, that's just the natural gray. They think the gray is actually highlights, but there is a certain beauty to mm-hmm. all things as they age. And and I think women especially would, would at least consider that, you know, that a possibility to, you know, especially if you have a mate that, you know, sees you as his equal and, and his soulmate, he, he'll be the kind of man that, that says, you know what, you're beautiful as you are. And uh, don't cover that up. You know, you don't need to spend a fortune to look young. I love you just like you are. And Again, that also comes from self-acceptance. You know, there's the guy, of course, who, that unbalance in the home, he leaves the wife and kids for some gal who's 21 and buys a, you know, convertible. <laughs> Look how that usually ends, right? So anyways, it's, you know, again, life begets life. Death begets more death. But each one is imperative to the other. But we have the free will choice to worship neither but use either when you're fulcrumized when you're centered when you are out of center it's always one versus the other you're always going to be in division one against the other science versus religion spirit versus matter uh, materialist science versus idealism you're always going to have these different camps and i think that the new cosmic man is going to be one who's learned to balance his own hemispheres who's learned to balance the wave of of life and death, which is the secret of creation as Russell put it. And then he'll be best able to utilize his knowledge to create the kind of world that is conti- that has continuity in, in the same way nature does. You know, we won't see our civilizations rise and fall anymore. We'll be able to maintain it because we understand how imperative it is to mimic nature and its balance of male and female opposites. Beautiful. So,
2: uh, uh, Mike, unless you have other questions, yep. and, and I got I a couple. I got a couple questions. Oh, okay, to wrap it up. Go for it. Uh, I was just going to maybe get into Matt's music uh, before we finish because I've been tracking a lot of your creative endeavors. But go ahead with your questions, Mike.
0: Just a couple quick ones from the sure. from the peanut gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, what book does Matt recommend for a first read to a person new to Walter Russell?
1: I will always say the Secret of Light. Uh, that book, I read it in about three weeks, and Upon finishing it, I shut the book. Lori looked at me and said, did you like it? I said, it's, I, said I never need to read another book as long as I live. Hmm. To me, it, it laid the universe out and taught me the language of light. It literally is the secret of light. He teaches you to understand the language of the birds as it was known in Hermeticism, which is the language of light, which is inspiration. So... That's always my recommendation for folks. It's, it's like a very nice balance of the of the science and the philosophy presented in that divine meter in a way that just transforms you upon the first reading. But a lot of people start with, you know, the man who tapped the secrets of the universe. Others who are more scientifically oriented start with new concept of the universe. But, you know, it's really, you could ask your heart too, which book should I start with? And uh for me uh, you know i always recommend the secret of light
0: wonderful and one more um Mm -hmm. this is a text from a friend watching uh what was walter's uh viewpoint on um reincarnation
1: he basically said reincarnation is repetition and he and leo went over reincarnation which is repetition of bodies in nature that there's there's absolute proof everywhere that nature is a repetition of idea and that idea is soul, idea is mind, and it unfolds into bodies and then refolds back into itself. So they didn't use terms like life and death to connote the passing of a human being. Uh, in fact, they, they uh, re- preferred the terms unfolding and refolding. For instance, Walter Russell refolded on May 19th. 1963 and in much the same way nature unfolds and refolds and it unfolds from one thing the seed there is no seed that grows only in one direction you always have roots and you'll always have what's above the root system in two different directions again you have your your poles of opposites of gravity And one directs the upward and one directs the downward or the outward and the inward and so on and so forth. But ultimately nature is proof of repetition. The leaves that come back on the trees every year. um, There's multiple stories and accounts of children who have exhibited past life memories, uh, hundreds of accounts of people who have experienced, you know, visions of of a former life. Uh, You have tens of thousands of documented near-death experiences where people know that there's no death. And I I would just say to add to that, if you type in why you cannot die and first you can go to my YouTube page, Uh, I did do a video presentation called why you cannot die, which uses the words of Leo Russell's book, or you could type in TEC unit 19 and that should directly bring up that unit and that's she wrote an incredible book called why you cannot die and she goes greatly into reincarnation and the repetition of nature and bodies and that man as an idea is indestructible that's why we say ideas are bulletproof because they can't die and what doesn't die is the soul the soul of man is immortal just like the soul of nature is immortal the soul of the oak tree you know you can dissect an oak an acorn into infinitesimally small pieces and never find the image of a 50-foot tall 100 or 100-foot tall 50-ton oak tree. It's not anywhere in the acorn. But plant the acorn in the ground and come back in 50 years and behold, it stands before you. you know. So the idea is bulletproof. The idea of man is bulletproof. And the idea of you as a soul is is, is immortal and bulletproof.
2: Can you give us a real brief explanation of the role of the inert gases in all of that?
1: Sure. The inert gases are on the equilibrium as close. They're they're the only, they're they're the master tones of the elements, Russell called them. And they are closest to the divisionary line of equilibrium. Uh, And basically the white light uses the inert gases, which, uh, we've concluded must also be omnipresent. The white light projects through the inert gases to create the myriads of forms in the universe. And that's why inert gases can't combine with any other elements. Um, They are the master keys, the master tones of the elements, the master keys of each octave. And those inert gases act in much the same way lenses do. Um, For instance, the white light of a movie projector shines through the lens to create the image on the white screen of space, which again, that white screen is much like the inverted galaxy. Why is the screen white? So that it can reflect the, the color spectrum. You know, a black screen will not reflect anything. So though it may be dark to our senses, to our minds, we can know it. And many mystics have entered into that white light and written to tell about it. And we all have that white light, and that light projects through the inert gases, which creates creation. And, wow. and it, there it, it actually? Also, it also sorry. stores the records of all motions. So, yeah. in much the, the same way, the inert gases could be thought of as the Akashic record or the Akashic substance.
0: So,
2: yeah, that was my next question. <laughs> Thanks.
0: So we should get those inert gases. Like, I know, I know Bear has some, right? You have uh, those in like special capsule or something. That I mean, it'd be interesting to well, know I've, what we can yeah. do with these technologies.
2: I've been experiencing mm-hmm. or uh, experimenting with uh, inert gas devices in tonal fields and things for a long time. So mm-hmm. uh, I wish I had a few million bucks and a staff of people to really go for it, but I just get to right. play with it by myself. So, Mike, um, if you don't have any more questions, maybe, Matt, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days with your music and your video projects and where people might find those even?
1: Right. Well, I was so busy last year, spent eight months in Virginia, away from home here in Missouri, that uh, I haven't had a whole lot of time to do a lot of production. I I aim to get back into it. Um, As far as music goes, again, I haven't had – really a lot of time and I've been so busy in the yard getting my gardens going and and the fish and you know building the chicken coop and learning to raise chickens but all of these things are last year i was centered around the museum and being away from home this year I'm more centered around being home and involved with things around here and I do plan to get more into uh, music production but and also to produce some things on, on Walter Russell, I'd like to do a two hour documentary feature film at some point, maybe to release in, in the next couple of years that that goes more into his life and his works from a, a deeper perspective. Uh, if people want to get a hold of me, they can they can visit Matt Presti, M-A-T-T-P-R-E-S-T-I icom com. Uh, you can click on videos there. My YouTube page is YouTube.com forward slash Matt Presti. Uh, On social media, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Facebook facebook.com, Matt Presti official, and then minds.com forward slash Matt Presti.
0: Very good. I'm sharing that uh, right now in the chat, and uh, I think that's a good way to leave off this discussion. Uh, Thanks so much, Matt. We'll make sure to get all your links in the show notes for those listening right now, uh, you can find this, uh, this will be on YouTube at uh, youtube.com forward slash AlphaVedic. Of course, this will also be a audio podcast or where podcasts are. You can also go to alphavedic.com and go to the AlphaCast page there and we'll have that up. We'll have this episode up with all the links to Matt's uh, socials and his website and projects, etc., Uh, Also, we have recently launched our new website. If you haven't seen it yet, please go check it out, alphavedic.com. We're offering uh, some new product lines and a a new uh, co-op that we've started that's really exciting. You can join there at patreon.com forward slash alphavedic. Our Physic Garden co-op is really growing fast, and uh, we're working on a number of different resources and solutions for co-op members from gardening and permaculture tips to health tips. Uh, we just launched a Q and A for Co-op members yesterday on Patreon, so um, it's a really uh, an amazing resource. You also get discount to the store and just really become part of something that we're growing here. So please, if you want to support this channel, support this information and the show, um, that's probably one of the best ways. Patreon.com forward slash Alpha Vedic, and of course we have an amazing community on Telegram, uh, t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic. You can join us there for the general daily discussions we have going on there from all sorts of funny memes to videos to uh, just an amazing uh, flow of consciousness on there. We love our Telegram community. So uh, thanks, you guys, for all the support. And, of course, we stream this every Thursday at 10, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on DLive, dlive.tv forward slash AlphaVedic. You can join in, ask questions, join in the conversation as we do this. So Thanks, everybody. And Matt, thank you so much. We're so grateful for you and being here on this planet and spreading the the message of Walter and Lau. Uh, Really, like I said in the beginning, needed more than ever. Embracing that life waveform that that we need right now so badly. And um, I'm an eternal optimist, so I try to ride that wave as much as I can. And uh, we will spread this, this podcast far and wide so more people can be elevated to the, those notions. So thanks again so much for joining us today. And hey, Mike, thanks-
1: if, I'm, if I may just add real quickly, Yeah, um, philosophy.org is the official website for Walter and Leo Russell in the University of Science and Philosophy. And before I forget, for your listeners, those who have hung on this long to the very end, um, if you go to philosophy.org forward slash store and you want to order the books just for Alpha Vedic listeners, when you check out, enter coupon code Alpha Vedic 20. Okay, that's all caps Alpha Vedic 20, one word, Alpha Vedic 20, and you'll save 20% off on your order. I will get that coupon code made as soon as we hang up. Wow, oh, that's,
0: that's amazing! Thank you, and I'm going to take advantage of that. I want to get another poster. Thanks so much, Matt. You're welcome. Thank
2: you. Yeah, thanks Thank so you much. Um, so great! I wish we had another two hours. Maybe we can do again this uh, do this again some
1: other time because, be uh, as you to.
2: know, we're just. We're just scratching the surface with all of, uh, Walter Russell's work. So uh, I think that again. goes
1: for all of us. Yeah. There's so much to scratch, yeah. you know? Yeah. But, um, like our chickens, like our chickens. Uh, Everything's a chicken so, reference lately. You know?
0: I have chickens too. We're all, we're all <laughs> yeah. chicken. We all keep chickens. So, well, thanks <laughs> so much, Matt. Thank you guys uh, for joining us and have a beautiful day. Go outside, get your hands dirty, grow something, go in nature, go for a nature walk, whatever yeah, you can do. Create, so, live go, life. Cre- Yes. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.